The Shocking Profit Podcast is for business owners and leaders who are interested in finding new ways to claim and create value in their companies. Your hosts, Tim Van Meegum and Eric Matson, have decades worth of business battle scars in the trenches with business leaders and want to share their experiences to make the journey a bit less treacherous and a lot more profitable. Shockingly profitable. Good day, everyone. I'm excited to welcome you to episode five of the Shocking Profit Podcast. I'm Tim. And I'm Eric. And we're just two guys you've never heard of who are trying to make the world a better place for business owners and business leaders. Tim, catch us up. What do you have for us today? Well, Eric, you know, a few episodes ago, we studied how to value your company and why doing that's helpful. And now we're in the middle of our first mini-series deep dive into a meaty topic, the top 10 ways to actually increase the value of your company. We're about halfway through. We've looked at predictability, segmentation, capacity, procurement, and pricing. That's excellent. Let's cover the three value levers for today. What's next? The next topic, Eric, is one we've danced around and and referred to a few times. It's about velocity and efficiency. And, you know, if we think about in procurement, it's about reducing the cost of purchased goods and materials that go into it. Velocity and efficiency thinks about how we operate, how we run our processes to speed up. How long does it take for the product to go through our plant or go through our system, go through our processes and for a service business? It reminds me, just last week, I was in talking with a private equity sponsor about some of these topics and and we brought up the topic of operational improvements and he said you know efficiency is just not high on our list and we were able to explore the idea that it's not about efficiency it's about velocity this is where we have an outsized impact on operations through something we purely control even with pricing that we just talked about the customer still has to agree to pay it, right? At the end of the day, the customer has a decision. With velocity, the processes and approach that we use to put product and work through our process and business are completely within our control. So it's it's not about labor costs. It's about, if we, th- here's a way to think of it, and we'll come back to this metaphor many times. If you, in 10 hours, you have 10 people working and you produce 100 units in that time period, if we find a way to do 10 units an hour with eight people, that's nice. And what have we saved? What's the improvement? The improvement is we pay two less hours per unit for labor costs. It's not horrible. It's not bad. It's a good thing, all things being equal. However, if we instead keep it at 10 people, And in 10 hours, instead, we're now producing 120 units. It's a much better output, for sure. Yeah. We have sales on 20 more items, which means we have the marginal gross margin from that. And we've added no overhead and no labor, which means that that 20% of sales growth comes from the only additional cost is the cost of any materials that you might have. It's a way to shift. Yeah, when I think about this, It's in the same mindset as a few of our other topics where it becomes part of the methodology in how 
the leader thinks about running the business. And it just may be a topic, the topic of velocity. You know, I can uh, empathize that it may not be totally intuitive yet at this point. But again, I assure you that it's going to be a theme that's going to run through a number of our future episodes here. And just challenge you as a listener to think about velocity and you can do it in all aspects of your business. So here we've talked about, you know, the velocity of throughput in a production system, but it could even be the velocity in how fast you turn your accounts receivable. Yes. Onboarding a customer. Yeah. How fast you can get a new customer implemented and producing revenue, how fast you can onboard a new employee and improve their ability to uh, start impacting your business and generating revenue for you quicker. Yes. Uh, it's, it can be every single aspect of your business. And so it becomes one of those almost religious aspects where once you start to believe in it, then it starts to work its way through how you think about leading the company. Yes. So I've got a, a fish story on this one, Eric, I'd like to share. <laughs> and it, it really speaks to this. And this is a production example, but as you said, it, it can apply to any type of company. So we have a client that produces marinated salmon steaks. You can go get them at Jewel. You can get them at Myers at Costco. You're making me hungry. Yeah, exactly. Me too. <laughs> get the girl going. Well, <laughs> In the same year, they landed Sam's and Costco. Mm. Okay. Two major. I've heard of both of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It literally doubled their sales essentially overnight. And they, to fill that demand now, they were running their plant 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they needed to add 40% more throughput or, you know, product to fill demand. And they knew that they didn't want to build a new plant. So they asked us to come in and we had a chance. We had a three-week study to see, could you fit enough equipment in this factory to get 40% more throughput? We started on a Monday. On Tuesday, we went back to the CEO and we told her, forget the study. You don't need any new equipment. Give us eight weeks. We'll get you the throughput. And through a series of probably 10 related improvements, not only did we add the 40% that they needed, but we also went from a seven to a five-day work week. Wow. And so that case study and the results of it are dramatic. My guess is that, and this is going to be the kind of key takeaway, so everybody get your pencils out, to improve efficiency, you have to measure something. Yes. Right, the old adage: you can't you can't manage what you don't measure. So, my guess is that you took a measurement on something and determined that there was a way to improve. So, without breaching confidentiality, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Give somebody an idea on how to do it in their own business. So, one, this one applies. This first part I'll talk about applies to virtually every single business. And whatever work you're in, and it ties to the first topic we brought up, which was predictability. If you predict what you're going to produce or complete in a day and then measure yourself to that, it is by far 
one, it's not done frequently. And two, when it is done, it has an impact. In fact, I will share with you that we have never seen a company go from not predicting and then measuring what they do in a day to doing it without increasing output by at least 15%. It's free money. A key takeaway, free, yes. free money, free free lever to more value in your business. It, it relates, if you've ever heard of the Hawthorne effect, it's a study that was done over 100 years ago. But I have had to read a book nope. to understand that? Nope, not oh, at all. Okay, no, I've never, I've never heard of it, so educate That's okay, me. yeah. So there was a, there's actually a museum for this in the Chicago area that we're going to go see. But the idea is this, there's a company that made lighting systems back when lights were a relatively new feature. And they wanted to demonstrate that good lighting would increase productivity in a factory setting. So they hired a company to come in and they, they put in the new lighting and they measured the output and it was 15% higher than it was before. And so they're like, this is awesome. You know, and they started getting ready to market. And what they figured out, though, over the next time period, it had nothing to do with their lighting. The reason that they had the 15% improvement was because they were monitoring and tracking what was going on. And they measured it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Would you spend more money if you didn't balance your checkbook? Right? If you don't, you're so right on with that. There's another topic, an old saying that comes to mind with this, Eric. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't fix it. And what happens so frequently, and this happened in the fish story, a number of different parts of 10 of those, of those 10 improvements, a few of these were, tell me about how we do it this way. Why do we approach it this way? And they said, well, that's how it was taught. That's how it was done. You know, that's how they did it before. And we just, and I get it. I do the same thing. We all do it in our own lives. We don't want changes hard. It it can be violent. It's, it's troubling. There's anxiety around it for sure. Right. And so you, you know, in this case, our client needed an unattainable and vital goal. We had to increase output by 40% or we're going to lose Sam's and or Costco. Can't let that happen. What we as leaders need to do is to create artificial drama and say, we need to look at this and let's start by measuring it. And then staying with the running water uh, metaphor of evaluating how it's going and what can we do or should do to, to improve. Yeah. And for those folks out there who aren't really doing much in the way of measurement, one take some solace in the fact that most of the businesses that Tim and I run into aren't really doing much in the way of measurement. So you're not alone out there. We do know that any sort of incremental ask that uh, we propose here is oftentimes not easy in your already very busy day. And so uh, I always like to suggest that where you don't know that you have a need, in the case here, Tim had to find 40% excess capacity and, and throughput for a client. But if even if you don't have that, pick something, pick something that's relatively, you know, a light lift and just start to get some of those details down on paper and know exactly how long it takes you to onboard an employee from the time that you determine that there's a need to the time that they're producing revenue for you Absolutely. or onboard a client. Just pick one you stay focused on it and run it to ground and 
see if you can drive some improvement. I love it. You're right on there. So the next topic is organizational design. And Eric, I think of a couple of different areas here that are really critically important. One is similar to the topic we just raised. It's important not to get overly comfortable and keep doing what we're doing because it's what we've been doing. So part of thinking about org design is the periodic review of our structure. Are we structured appropriately to achieve the strategy and the vision that we've set out? Another piece of this I think of as hygiene. It's habits, the things that we do every single day, day in and day out. Things like, you know, hire, promote, develop people and fire people based on values and competence. It's the hardest thing. I mean, just to jump in here, I mean, it's it's probably the most important thing because every organization is just as good as its people are. We've all heard the adage, uh, the weak link, and it's just so true. And you're dealing with real live breathing, uh, you know, smiling or crying people across the yes. table from you. And it is not something that most folks are really comfortable doing on a regular basis. So this notion of hygiene and, and kind of regularly, you know, scrubbing yes. the organization. It's, you know, we, we see folks who have tapped out on their skill level still being promoted in just about every organization. We also see people that are super talented that uh, for one reason or another, just may not have those skills appreciated being held back and having an objective way to measure your staff and to tie that to the goals that that you're trying to achieve as a leader is a critical step. Oh, sure. You, you also shared with me a story about uh, the hockey player who was very talented. <laughs> well, maybe he wasn't very talented. The, so for those of you who uh, maybe are just tuning in, hockey has been an important part of my life for a long time. And I've been privileged to have been a part of a lot of really interesting things in hockey. And I had the opportunity to observe a, um, a coach at a national level ask a, a very well-known both coach, GM, and, uh, and player at uh, the highest levels in hockey his opinion of a particular player. And the coach who was lobbying for this player was talking about uh, what a character guy he was and the experiences that he had had over a very long and distinguished career and uh, went on and on to talk about a whole bunch of characteristics that had nothing to do with his hockey ability. And so the uh, sage experienced advisor stopped him and he basically said, listen, it sounds like he's not very good. Why would you want him on the team? And he really just kind of cut to the chase. And I think that the analogy here is that so often as leaders, we want our people to excel. We want our people to grow and we want them to be the best player for us. But in many cases, the reality is they're just not. Right. And that is a hard thing to face. And as much as this coach wanted this player on his team, at the end of the day, he was going to have a worse team by having him there. 
And so it may not have to be quite as dramatic as that, but having an objective way to say, do I have the right person in the right role? And is that person who was the right person in whatever role they had two or three years ago or five years ago, and in many cases, 15 years ago, are they the right person for the right role now? And that's that's tough as a leader. We're forced to have to make those decisions and have to navigate around it. And so, you know, more for us to dig in here. What guidance do you have around this topic? I'm sure you've seen it a number of times. You know, I'll, I'll say two things. One, you mentioned one earlier about measuring. You know, to be fair to people and to be effective as a leader, you're actually leading people. And employee engagement has been demonstrated 15 different ways to be dramatically impactful on the profitability of a company. And one of the ways that we can do that is to put a hard focus onto it, measure and help people develop. And another one is to think about the impact of keeping, I'll say it, laggards around. Either someone who isn't capable of doing the job they're doing, but it's tolerated, or perhaps worse, it's someone who is capable, but they don't fit. They don't follow the values. They're essentially toxic in your world, and it's allowed. No stand is taken. It's it's allowed, and that has two very negative impacts that happen every single day. The first one is they make it harder for other people to do their jobs. I mean, the motivational yeah. the motivational drain is devastating to to companies. Why try hard if that's allowed? Right. Yeah. Right. I have a good friend and a good client who is probably on the leading edge of this topic in a sense. And he said, if you're thinking about letting someone go, you already should have. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I think I related, you know, sort of a, a cousin to that comment. And that's, you know, really clear guidance from somebody who has been there is that when you as the leader finally uh, see that somebody is either a laggard or uh, even worse, they're toxic in the organization, when, when you finally have that realization or, or even start to sniff that that's happening, almost everybody that that person works with has known it. They already know. Yeah. For a year. Yeah, you're so right. <laughs> And, and so what are you doing as a leader to make sure you're plugged in with what's happening around? And I always just go back to another tried and, and true, you know, reality of business is, you know, you may think that there are certain aspects of your business that are more important than the other, mm -hmm. but think about the receptionist, think about the first person that first experience that it a customer or prospective customer is going to have. I mean, it's up and down the organization that you should be striving for your people to be espousing whatever those characteristics are that kind of make up the caricature of business. And so uh, having a finger on the pulse of who are those motivational detractors is one of the more important things that you can do. So I want to wrap up this topic, Eric, with the flip side that, it's just as real and so much more fun. We worked with a company a couple of years ago that had a really tough time. They had lost a significant portion of their workforce 
And when I talked to the CEO at the beginning of the project, again, I asked him what, what's on his mind, what keeps him up at his night? Why does he think this is happening? He's like, I'm really struggling to get good people. And so my first thought, of course, was I know what the problem is now. And it's not because of labor availability. And as we worked through and helped the plant address their issues, we found two people in their existing organization that had the leadership skills to lead the plant. And within three months of starting the project, those two people, we developed them and they were running the plant. And so it's just as much about when you have clarity, it's about uncovering the uncut diamonds, you know, the diamonds in the rough that are there to allow people to fully express themselves and grow into their capabilities. Sometimes they don't get a chance. Yeah. I mean, clearly leveraging the staff that you have and the experience that's embedded within the organization when you've got folks that can put more of the company on their shoulders yes. and drive it. That is, to your earlier point, that's just free money for the organization and, and free value. Yeah, I love it. Great topic. Eric, I'm very happy to tell you, Elwood at ShockingProfit.com has been a busy place lately, and Mrs. Calabash has once again come through with a question. She is for sure our most active listener. <laughs> yes. Yes, she is. And, and she writes in, I'm exhausted. I have a great team with 12 people reporting to me. What am I missing? Do I need more people? Wow. I'm exhausted just hearing that she has 12 people yes. reporting to her. I would say, Mrs. Calabash, that that's about nine people too many. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, what I think on this, Eric, too, it's a, it's a sign when you're exhausted and you've got that many people. One, it's a sign like we just talked about today, to do an org design reset and to step back and ask a couple questions. One, you know, look for the diamond in the rough, perhaps someone who's already on your team who has the desire to develop and lead other people. And for sure. kind of like Eric said, work to get yourself to the point where you have the number of people you can actually spend the time with to develop them. The real fun part of leadership is when you develop others and their ability to develop their team. Can't do that with 12 people. No, no way can do that with 12 people. And I think that, you know, you need to really take a hard look, you know, do I have the right people? And you've got to, if you don't, then you, you need to make some hard decisions potentially and bring in people who can lead. And if you do, I totally agree. You've got to give them the, the free reign to take over and, and start relieving uh, you, Mrs. Calabash, of that extraordinary lift in, in management. Right on. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Thank you for listening, and we are honored that you chose to join us. Eric, what's coming up next? Next, we'll cap off our four-part mini-series on the top 10 value levers. We're going to be covering risk, process, and the balance sheet. I can't wait. Three more meaty topics. In the meantime, everyone, tell your friends about us. If you have a question, a challenge, or a life hack, reach out to us at Elwood at ShockingProfit.com. And remember, everybody, focus on what matters to shock your profit. We'll see you next time.